Hey, it's Coach Marcy, and welcome to Why Me, the Career Transition Podcast. Today, I have the opportunity of meeting with Fahim Yassin, who is going to explain to me about some of his transitions in his career and what actually transpired and how it actually felt to experience it. So first, I'd like to welcome you, and I really, really appreciate you for this interview. Thank you. Well, the opportunity, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be here to, you know, share these experiences. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So, take me back to where it all started, because sure. that's that's usually how we, you know, build it up. So, okay. take me back to where it all started. Well, it all started really in high school. Um, went to high school, high school graphic communication arts, and um, I was kind of like going through majors, but I really kind of hit my stride with a, a magazine journalism shop class I had with a teacher named Mr. Pellman. And, um, you know, I just, I remember writing something and the teacher said, you know, you could really write. And he said, you know, you should really, you know, think about, you know, um, writing as a career. And I was like, you really think so? He said, yeah. I said, you could really write. So he took a liking to me. He actually even put me in a program where I had like a mentor at like City College. So I had the opportunity to like leave school like one day, like uh, a week or every two weeks to go to the campus at City College. And I would meet with my mentor, would do like some writing exercises, workshops, stuff like that. So that really kind of piqued my interest, uh, you know, as a, you know, looking at writing as a career and to be a journalist. Um, I used to write for the school, you know high school newspaper. Um, uh, even though me and the high school newspaper shop teacher, we didn't get along, but I did contribute some pieces for the school newspaper. But that, you know, I knew from then on um, that you know I want that career as a journalist. So went to college, um, went to Hunter College. Uh, was a major. I took my major in media studies. Uh, did internships at magazines um, and also record labels because I was trying to figure out whether I wanted to work at a label or not. So I worked at, you know, did an internship at Vibe um, and they had a hip-hop focused only publication called Blaze that they released at the time. And I kind of hit my stride, you know, interning and writing for them. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Because I also, at the time, I was like, you know, moonlining as a rapper. And, um, but, you know, what people don't realize, if you probably heard the term Uh, or the saying that, you know, you got to kind of put like 10,000 hours in to reach some type of, you know, success. And I don't think I was really as dedicated to to rap music like I thought I was. And I started to see people around me who were taking a little bit more seriously than I did getting put on, i.e. they getting, you know, signed to record labels or production deals. And even though I was signed to, you know, me and my group were signed to a label, it was a small label, but nothing really transpired. But... But I always had the writing to fall back on. And um, and actually, when you see your writing published, you know, um, in a magazine or newspaper, it's like, wow, you know, it's like an accomplishment. It's like, yo, I could really do this. So um, I, I have to say that it really kind of crystallized for me when I was, um, I was dating this young lady. And um, I read an article in The Village Voice, which was a weekly in New York City at the time. And um, I was like, you know, I want to write a letter to the editor, you know, about what I just read. 
And um, I wrote the letter. And like a week later, you know, I got a call from their, uh, their letter to the editor test. They was like, you know, um, we really like what you wrote and we're going to publish it. And I was like, what? For real? Wow. So I just remember my girlfriend at the time just laughing at me. She was like, I told you, I, I told you, I told you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, you know, you don't want to believe in yourself, but I believe in you like I told you. And I was like, yo, I'm really okay. And um, so that, that moment, you know, pushed me to working and, you know, taking an internship at Vibe and writing for Blaze and Vibe. And, and, um, and I moved out to Los Angeles, which I was... Um, doing some writing, um, working as an editorial assistant for Variety, when Variety's like this huge entertainment, you know, Bible, if you will, where they cover everything in, you know, um, the entertainment industry, you know, film, music. Yeah, so that was a great opportunity where, you know, the editors there took a liking to me. You know, they would send me to do, like, um, concert reviews. So it was, it was like, you know, the best of both worlds. You get to see artists that you like and you get to write about it, you know, so, um, and I remember one time, I did a, a concert review, and I remember getting back to the office on Monday, and I just hear the office buzzing, you know, so the editors was, you know, if I saw, what's going on, it's like, yo, they actually, you know, like what you wrote, Wow. You know? so I was like, wow, so it's like a confirmation that mm-hmm. I, you know, that I could write, and, um, Worked at a website, you know, it's also around the time of the dot com. So, you know, just to backtrack, this is like early 2000. So, for a lot of people who may not realize, or for those who are old enough to realize, like, there was like a big dot com boom. It was almost like a, a gold rush, if you, if you will. Like, anybody who had a website, people were throwing cash at it. Right. You know, investors were throwing mad bread at it, you know. So, I worked at this uh, website called thirsty.com as the music editor. And it was backed by, um, one of the founders was Benny Medina, who was like a longtime music executive. And this film director named Jeff Pollock, who directed uh, Booty Call. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it just, there was experiences, you know, like being in the office in Beverly Hills and then we moved into an office in Westwood by UCLA campus. So, you know, your mind is like, yo, this is, this is wild. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you know, going to get free food and a snack, you know, the kitchen and all this. It was amazing. You know what I'm saying? But I got homesick and I wanted to move back home to New York, you know, so because L.A. Is a, is, can be a tough place if you're not in, you know, so. Right. Um, it's not as a, a place that, you know, New York City, you can kind of like, um, it's not as sociable. Right. So it, Los Angeles is a place where you got to be invited. And once you're in, you're in, you know. But when you're in, if you're out, you're out. Right. You know what I'm saying? And for me, that was a that was very challenging. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Coming from New York City. Um, but yeah. So when I got back to New York, um, I started working writing for the Source. So how I started writing for the Source magazine, I met a young lady at a Source Awards party in Los Angeles, and we met we met on the dance floor. Started talking. I was like, um, you know, I write, you know, I'm, you know, work is right out here, but I'm moving back home to New York. She said, well, you get back to New York, give me a call. She gave me a business card. I got back to New York, it was like August of that year, 2000. And I was, I made up in my mind, I'm not going to call. I'm just going to go up to the office. Wow. I went up to the office and I asked for the editor. Um, her name was Aaliyah King. And Aaliyah King, you know, shout out to Aaliyah King. She's still doing her thing. And I was like, I'm here to see Aaliyah King. Um, so, and they was like, you got a point? I was like, nope. Mm. And they called her. 
she came and got me. Wow. <laughs> she came and got me. You know what I'm saying? She's like, wow, you really... She came and got me. So I'm going back to the their offices and the editorial department is, was called... It's called the Mind Squad, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm meeting these people, and but I'm also meeting people that I knew. So there's one um, brother uh, I went to college with and I was like, I looked in the office, I was like, yo, Ans, what's up? You know, it's my man, Anson Samuel. We used to sit in college, we sit in, you know, shared class together at Hunter College. Wow. So he was an editor up there, and I met this other young lady, her name was Akiba Solomon. I met her at a Cuba bookstore, but she used to be on uh, in Park Slope. And um, she was an editor up there, so I was like, you know, kind of like, I'm kind of at home. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. So... I started getting all these assignments. They were as a freelance writer. I was coming through, and um, I worked as a freelance writer, one of their main contributing writers, and also worked in a research department as a fact checker. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know what a fact checker is, basically when uh, a, a person writes an article, you have to check the facts. So you have to make sure um, you using you know uh, research sources like LexisNexis at the time. Right. Or, other, you know, credible web sources, but also even calling the subjects themselves. Absolutely. Uh, just to verify the information. So, no yellow journalism. Exactly, exactly. So we had to verify pretty much everything uh, that was in a story. Mm -hmm. So I worked in that department for like about, about two and a half, three years. So I was getting steady income as just as a contributor, mm -hmm. working as a contributing writer and also as a fact checker. The fact checker was like weekly income. The contributing writing thing was like just you know get paper story right so and I was also writing for other publications as well so it was like it was a great time and I was like yeah this is this is definitely what I want to do and um, some years went by you know working as a freelancer and you know but also kind of like the money you know started to dry up a little bit I was this close to working in a sneaker store mm. <laughs> in New Jersey in Secaucus because my man was like yo you know you know, I know you need a job. You know, you can come work with us. Oh, <laughs> wow. I was like, and I went out to the sneaker store and everything. Met with the manager and all of that. I was really this close. And I got a call. It was like, uh, we want to interview you to be the culture editor for the magazine. This is the source. I was like, sure, no problem. So, you know, and the people who interviewed, it's people I know. Because it's people mm -hmm. I, write, I, I wrote for. And, um, and I passed the interview with Fine Colors. Um, and I got hired. Like literally, like two weeks after, I met you know, my man at the sneaker store in Chicago, mm -hmm. and that was the beginning. I was like, okay, so I actually have a career as like a, this is like a job now. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I did that um, for worked as a worked as the culture editor for about about two years. Then I got promoted, become the deputy editor, and I think about six months after that, I became the editor in chief. But here's the interesting thing, you know, which this is good for your podcast, you know, good for the podcast is that, you know, you hear terms or you probably come across concepts like visualization, visual, visual, visualization. I visualized five years prior that I was going to run the magazine. Wow. Like I, I had it in my mind that I was going to be the editor in chief one day, you know, but these were the steps I had to take to do that. So when the opportunity came, I was ready. And um, so, yeah, you know, I only I was the editor-in-chief, I would say, about six months. 
and you know I had ran into some issues with the publishers at the time so I resigned and then you know um, new ownership came and they called me back and then I, I you know, ran it again for like another year and a half so so yeah that was my time my tenure at the source it was like about a good seven years I was at the source magazine working as a as, a, as an editor writer and um, yeah yeah so that was it was a great time great you know I really learned a lot um, as you know not just as a writer but also you're also in a leadership position as well right. and you're managing people and a lot of those people happen to be young people so you're learning a lot about yourself as a leader the type of leader that you want to become at a, at a, at a company and um, you're learning you, you know you're seeing your quirks things that you need to improve on things that you're good at and um, you know one thing I used to tell young people that used to work at the source I was like you know the source is not the real world right you know so I said because half of the stuff that you think you can get away with like you'll be fired <laughs> exactly you'll be fired right you know right. like not even a question like oh word you, you think you could talk to a woman like no nah. right <laughs> we're gonna yeah. have to go ahead and separate you from the organization exactly exactly <laughs> exactly so um the good thing about you know working in that an environment like that it was very lackadaisical the bad thing about it was that it's very lackadaisical right you know what i'm saying so and for people who may not have may not may not have had the um the right type of professional preparation you can kind of be lulled to sleep in terms of the type of habits that you exhibit at a workplace right you know so fortunately for me i came from very credible organizations so um, you know, I always kind of kept it always on a up and up professional. Um, but the downside of working in, you know, in an industry like that is that um, there's a lot of temptation. Um, it's not like a, a regular, you know, like a brick and mortar place where like, you know, it's like you're selling tool supplies and something like that. No, you're selling like the talk about music you're talking about fashion you're talking about art so you know and you're around people who are either doing it or want to do it right you know so and uh, the people that are behind them who are helping to push the stuff so it's like and what I mean by temptation is that you have you come across individuals male and female that um, in order to push an agenda they're willing to do certain things mm-hmm. you know or they want you to do certain right, things right and um you have to be wary of that where you know you always have to kind of think about your professional integrity at the end mm-hmm. of the day so um one of the things that you know i, I definitely I have, to, I have to laugh about was that my one of my weaknesses is clothes so <laughs> mm-hmm. i had fashion companies said i'll be all types of gear <laughs> <laughs> Or I had access where I could just go up, call up some, you know, some type of marketing director, like, yo, you got something like, yeah, come down to the office, man. I got a whole right. <laughs> whole rack. You know what I'm saying? So I got clothes galore from fashion companies. You know what I mean? And um in that type of environment, you know, it's almost it's almost akin to like pay for play. Right. You know what I'm saying? So um you do this piece for me, I'll send you a package wow. of gear. You know right. what I'm saying? So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I could definitely say that I, as well as many other editors, you know what I'm saying? And it's not just 
music magazines or hip hop. That's pretty much anything that deals with like type. It deals with like product. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna have, you know, in one sense those type of perks, uh, but in another sense you're gonna have, also have those type of uh, uh, situations where you know you're being offered things mm-hmm. to make sure a particular artist or product looks good. You know what I mean? So. And that was just like that was just like par for the course, right? You know, it was like nothing. You know, so yeah, so yeah, so yeah. So I did I did that for about seven years. Worked at another website that was owned by um, Hearst Corporation um, as a music editor. It was called uh, UGO. They still around, but they just they they were video, very video game focused then, even now. And they just wanted me to handle their music channel. So, but but I knew then I was like, you know, the game has changed and. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was 36, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. So So we're going to take a break right now, and when we come right back, we're going to continue this story with Fahim. Welcome back, and just as a reminder, this is Coach Marcy with Why Me, the Career Transition Podcast, where we are interviewing Fahim Yassin, and I am so delighted to have this opportunity, and where were we with our story? Yes, yes, indeed. So we were talking about how I um, was kind of almost transitioning out of the the journalism uh, career, so I from the Source magazine, which ended in 2007. I left there in February 2007. And the following year, I started working at a website called UGO.com. And I was their music editor. Um, and I was there literally about six months. Um, I got laid off, you know, due to budget cuts and stuff like that. But even while I was there, you know, even with the accomplishments I made, I brought, like, I brought the game to our offices I brought uh, what's my man's name who had the uh, uh, the TV show at the time 24 what's his name what's the actor's name uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland brought him to the office hey people was open wow that's like you brought him <laughs> those two people I brought people open the game and Kiefer Sutherland so the game how I orchestrated that because I knew the games I know the games manager you know what I'm saying um, uh, his manager at the time, you know, was Jimmy Henchman, you know what I'm saying, who's now in prison. But, you know, that that was and is my man, you know what I'm saying? So he he you know, he helped me, you know, land that and that was that was a very good look. But you know, also landing Kiefer Sutherland, I had some contacts in LA, so he happened to be in New York and he just knocked it out, you know, you know, so but yeah, but even with that you know, I, I felt I felt the game was changing when I was at the source. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to just to backtrack a little bit, so you know, with this is the social media internet age. So at the time I was at the source, you know, our rep, our website wasn't you know as functional as it could be. Mm-hmm. So basically, the magazine was still the driving right. push. The website just served as like an ancillary, almost you know, p- promotional effort. Right. But the game flipped in 2006 where, you know, it, everything was going to the website. Right. Everything was internet. So we started to see 
um, and you don't don't have to take my word for it. Like there were long established publications that were folding, mm-hmm. been in existence 30, 40, some cases 70 years, mm-hmm. folding, and we started to see that like 2006, 2007, like towards the end, of, you know, going into like the 2010s. Everybody had to kind of like shift their business operations as, as it came to journalism. So now the internet became the major focus. Where if you were doing still publishing something, a paper, you know, that was now that was the promotional thing, right? You know, so so for you know dinosaurs like myself who still like to write long pieces and all that stuff, that changed, and you know, it took a while for me to adapt to that because I remember going to interviews you know at publications who wanted who were looking for people to run or edit certain you know edit the uh, the new media or social, the new media part of their publications and I realized like wow I'm not really experienced in this you know so that was a, a wake up call so because you know yeah they you know they looked at your resume like yeah you know doing print you're really good at print but this is what we need in this and I've gotten far as like second interviews and that I didn't have the experience you know so um even though when I was working at thirsty.com which gave me the experience but I remember I remember that year 2007 being really rough because I was just getting like the door slammed in my face you know in terms of interviews like yeah you don't have enough experience so you know, Thirsty.com was pretty much like my last hurrah working in that field, you know, entertainment journalism and, you know, new media, you know, and I was like, you know, I felt like I was kind of getting old in the space. The music, you know, started to change and I really didn't have that much interest in it like that anymore. You know, you know, because the people who are not, who are big now, they were up and coming people like Wiz Khalifa. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, I covered him. He was just starting to get buzz, you know. So, um, and I was like, mm, it's not something I really want to do, you know. And, right. And I've always been kind of like a political person ever since high school. And I always kind of wanted to like kind of exercise my voice and, you know, those type of things as well. So I was like, yeah, I'm kind of done. But, you know, you still got bills to pay. Absolutely. And at the time, I was a, you know, a husband with a new baby. You know what I'm saying? So um, I had to figure something out. And, you know, did took my hand. I did, you know, did some freelance copywriting, you know, working at, you know, uh, I used to work in Long Island at this uh, media company that had cable clients. So I would write copy for their clients and right. stuff. But, um, you know, I wanted to kind of like start my own business. And somebody gave me an opportunity to do that. I got a call Somebody found me on LinkedIn. I was like, you know, we're doing this conference at, um, at this college. Um, it's a, it was a historically, you know, black, you know, college, HBCU. Mm-hmm. And um, we want you to kind of like, you know, run the conference because you kind of know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. And I actually brought basically a lot of my friends who are executives, and, you know, at this conference right and they paid me for it <laughs> you know i had to really literally i had to start a company i had to get insurance mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying you know i had to man get a business checkbook i had to, <laughs> stuff that you hadn't anticipated exactly you had to do. i had to do I, I was you know uh 
putting out newsletters. I was like, it was it was a lot. But what the process taught me was that, um, you know, having your own business is not like keeping a check every two weeks. Right. It really isn't, you know. So with that, when, when that conference went down, it was very successful because um, they gave me a budget. Basically, they wrote the check to my company and I had to pay people out of my right. account. So that was like the first time I was, I seen that much, uh, like a huge amount of money in my, you know, ever, like at one time, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I was like, whoa, okay. So, you know, you kind of get a little big headed, you know what I'm saying? You're thinking like, it's gonna, it's really, you know, gonna roll. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after you finish paying people, you cover the, you know, your expenses and everything like that. Okay, so... Yeah, you got a couple, maybe ten, twenty thousand. Okay, all right, but you know, that's it. What, that's what do it, you though? do to secure the next thing? Exactly. Wow. Okay. Exactly, and that was a hellified lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had, I have, I wasn't paid every two weeks or every month. Like this was it. So, would you say that it makes sense to? Start your business while you're still working your career so that you can build the business and fund the business from career revenue. And then when it's really starting to be a profitable business, that's when you make your exit. Totally agree. Okay. I totally agree. I mean, because it's just way, you know, much more pragmatic to do it that way. Right. Um, Because, you know, you don't want to put yourself in unnecessary, you know, uh, uh, holes. Right. You know, while you're trying to do a business, especially, particularly a business that you love, you know. And you don't, you know, if you want to fund your dream properly. Right. You know, so it's a dream that you want to see come to fruition and you want to do it right. And if you're still working a job or you're working a career, do it until it's time to finally, like, okay, it's time to be out. You know, and I, unfortunately, that was a lesson I had to learn. Mm-hmm. I had nothing else. To, you know, my business was my job, you know, so I had to literally, you know, I had to, I had to cold call. Right. And like, you know, send out newsletters. I had to create newsletters just to kind of drum up, you know, clientele and business. Mm-hmm. I was literally cold calling. I literally had to set from like 11 to like 3. I was on the phone or like sending emails and that got to be exhausting. Absolutely. Exhausting because, you know, you know, you feel like, you know, this, you know, nothing is going to come, you know, come into fruition and, you know, um, you know, but, you know, I did definitely get some bites and I definitely did, um, had some other institutions that, you know, took a chance and worked with me, but this one particular HBCU, they always, you know, gave me, you know, contracts to do stuff. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thankful to, to them. And I, I you know I also, you know, did stuff for like schools at like, um, you, you know, UNC Chapel Hill, um, Albany. Actually, Albany looked out a couple times. Yeah, Albany State, you know, they looked out a couple times, you know. So, but, um, but yeah, it was, it, it was tough. It was tough. And um, I had a business, had that business, which was like a consulting um, almost like a um, like a programming consulting type mm-hmm. of business, and so I did that for two years. And um, me and a friend of mine, we got an office in Penn Plaza. Uh, 
you know, for those who are not in New York, that's by Master Square Garden. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I had an office there. We shared an office. My friend, you know, who I know since childhood, he got a, he was an investment, you know, personal um, financial services. So he, you know, basically managed, you know, clients' money. You know what I'm saying? So we split the rent. And a lot of times, you know, based on our business, we actually paid each other. Right. You know, so like, yo, this month I got it. I got you. Mm-hmm. You know, next month he'll got you. Like, yo, it's three, four Gs. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So we were doing stuff like that. Right. You know, so, um, but it got to a point where business slowed up for me and it slowed up for him. So, you know, we had to close down the shop, close down the office. And I was, you know, you know, working that business for two years. It was, it was a great lesson. It was a very great lesson. And I had to, because of business slowing up, I had to drive taxi. You know, I had to literally get my <laughs> taxi hack license. Wow. Yellow cab license to drive taxi to help. And I had an intern who was at one of HBCUs I was doing a lot of work with. She, you know, wanted to intern with me. I was like, sure. And I would give her money every week. She, she never asked for it, but I was like, you know, I'm, that's not who I am. I'm just, you know, right. I, I'll, I'll give you something, you know. So I had to, I had to go back to, you know, you know what we talked about, you know, about five minutes ago about funding. I had to fund my business, right? So, you know, moonlighting as a as a yellow taxi driver, and this happened right before. Luckily, luckily, right before Uber jumped off. Because I could, I was able to take care of myself and my family driving taxi. Mm-hmm. There were times where, um, um, where I felt like, okay, the family, you know, wants to go on a vacation. Okay, I need to come up with like a G, <laughs> and right. I literally would drive <laughs> till I got the, I got the money. G, and I got it. You know what I'm saying? I remember one week I was like, I need 800. I drove four days and I got 800. You know what I'm saying? So. I was very thankful for for that opportunity to be able to do that. This all this stuff happened before Uber, so you know, Yellow Taxi was still like the number one right. mode of transportation if you wanted to get somewhere in you know the five boroughs. And luckily for me, I'm thankful that you know I also rediscovered New York City driving Yellow Cab. You know, and you know New York City. Um, you know those those of us who are from New York, you know we have a love hate relationship uh, with the city. Um, there's really a lot of things about New York that we don't know that are amazing and beautiful. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I, and I discovered it. And I, was, I was like, wow, this is great. This is great. Um, I've been everywhere except Staten Island. I, I would have took a fare, but I just never, nobody, you know. But I've been to the deep. I've been to Coney Island. And I've been to top of the Bronx. I've been to, you know, Nassau County. Yeah, I've been I've been Suffolk County in a cab. Wow. Yeah, so, and, uh, you know, one of the great things I... I felt like I was doing a service, um, and I took it personal because I, you know, there were a lot of people of, you know, who were African American or, or, or Latino. I would see them, you know, get passed by. Mm-hmm. And I would purposely pull my cab over and pick people up. Right. You know, I didn't care where you had to go. If you was, you know, in East New York, Brownsville, I would take you. And people mm-hmm. like word. I was like, yeah. I took one sister come up. You know, she, this one young lady, she was outside leaving a club on 34th Street. And I was like, where you got to go? She said, Brooklyn. I said, where? She said, Coney Island. I was like, jump in. She said, for real? I was like, jump in. Literally. 
Last exit almost off the BQE, like oh, literally no. in oh, the no. hood. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, and she's like, Mr. Thank you. <laughs> she said, You know how to get back? I said, I'm from Brooklyn, baby. I said, I'm good. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So I've had a lot of those experiences. I've yeah. never been robbed. None of that. Only people who try to, the funny thing, I, I've gotten jerked once and it wasn't somebody quote unquote black, it wasn't somebody quote unquote Hispanic. It happened to be an Asian dude who just, you know, tried to, you know, jerk me on the, on the credit card. You, mm-hmm. know? you know what I mean? So, yeah. So tell me from 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 that, what did you transition into and how did that work for you? So, you know, you know, the when you're in these experiences, um, you kind of find, you know, your next thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going to the, these events, doing these events at, you know, colleges and universities, I was like, you know, this wonder what it's like to work at a college so and I remember being at this event and I'm just walking around the quad on the campus so you know I've been a CUNY student and I did you know CUNY is City University of New York mm-hmm. I did two semesters at a SUNY which is State University of New York upstate New York so I never really kind of had like that that going away college feel you know I, even though I went upstate it was, a, it was a junior college, a community college, so we stayed in off-campus housing, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but I never really kind of got that feel until I went to this, you know, this event that I was running. So I'm watching, you know, these students just like being students right. on the campus. I was like, I got smitten by the bug. I was like, yo, this is dope. <laughs> this is dope. This is like really like school days. <laughs> it really was. It was like school days. I was like, yo, this is hot. You know what I'm saying? So I started asking some of the administrators there. I was like, what would it feel like? What what, what does it take to work, you know, at, at a college? And then, so they asked me like, do you want to teach? I was like, not at this juncture. I don't think I want to do that. I said, I definitely would like to advise students. So they, you know, so so you want to be like an academic advisor or something, a career advisor, like something like that. Yeah, why not? So, you know, they started telling me to look at some programs. They said that, you know, the, the field is, you know, at one time you could just have a bachelor, but then looking for more specialized. So you have to go kind of go for your master's. I was like, okay. And um, I, you know, I was looking at some programs and, um, my GPA at Hunter College wasn't so great, um, but I had a resume, and you know, one school took a chance on me, which was Stony Brook University. Nice. And it was for their higher education administration program. Mm-hmm. Took a chance on me, and I got accepted, which that was big for me. I was like, I can't believe I got accepted, you know. So that was huge, and I, you know, worked as a, you know, I became a, you know, graduate student in the program. First, I was on campus for one semester, so I was literally trekking from Brooklyn to Long Island, wow. to Stony Brook, Long Island, for a month. You know that was hard, and um, um, yeah, you know, getting home early was like eleven. Mm. Regular time was twelve mm. because you're taking the LIRR, right? And then you got to catch the J, mm. which I was doing, yeah. which doesn't come frequently. No. Yeah, so which I was doing, and you have to literally time yourself for the train. So yeah, and um, but then I finished the program, rest online. Mm-hmm. So I did that for two years, got my master's, and basically I had to start at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, interning, um, 
worked, I worked as assistant for the uh, director of multicultural affairs at Stony Brook. Uh, you know, just I started at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're reinventing yourself, more times than not, you're going to have to start at the bottom. Right. More times than not. And if you're a very prideful person, it will be extremely, extremely difficult because you may be used to certain things because of your profession, and but you're not working that profession anymore. Right. So, but you still kind of, kind of walk with a, a certain ego. Right. You know, I used to do this. I, that went out the window. You know, because I knew I was like, yeah, I, I want to do this. I want to learn. So, I literally started at the bottom. You know, so I'm in my 30s. So I'm at the bottom. You know, and um, don't get me. It was it was tough. There was, was times it was definitely was challenging. But you know, um, yeah, I, I you know worked at you know colleges. I worked at BMCC, which is Borough Manhattan Community College. I worked at Pace University, um, just trying to learn, you know, what it's like to work to be an administrator or an advisor at right. a college. So um, my chance at that was at Hostos Community College in the Bronx. In the Bronx, which I was trekking, you know, every day from Brooklyn to the Bronx. Uh, I was working. Um, uh, City University of New York has a foundation called the CUNY Foundation, mm-hmm. so they manage certain programs um, across CUNY campuses around the city. So there was one program that was uh, they managed the Cope program. Um, Cope is I forgot the acronym stands for, but basically um, they help students who are on public assistance. Right. So. I was a case manager for, um, uh, I was an HRA case manager for students. Uh, we had a, um, they kind of had to like work certain hours mm-hmm. on the campus. Um, and I kind of had to like uh, make sure they you know, kept the hours and you know, make sure the assignments was, you know, on par. And um, So yeah, I was kind of like managing their, the, the caseload of students that, you know, would collect public assistance. and. Mm-hmm. You know, had to work and you know receive benefits as well as whatever aid they were receiving. So that was like kind of like my first foray into like you know um, sort of like an advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know that experience allowed me to interview for a job at New York University, which was as a, as an academic advisor for the liberal studies program. And um, yeah, that it. it the one thing about that interview, like when I interviewed a job for the job, I was like, I'm getting this job. I was like, I'm getting this job. Yeah. You so just knew. I just knew that. I was like, I'm getting this job. Like I prepared like nothing, like no other. I prepared like that entire week for the interview. And um went back, I got called back for a second interview. I called back for, you know, third to meet with the higher up for mm-hmm. the department. And that was the beginning, working at New York University. I was like, wow, so this is this is what this is about. Yeah, so had a caseload of like about 120 students. Wow. Yeah, mostly freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. And um, making sure that, you know, they had their requirements. Um, just to give a little background on the liberal studies program, it's almost like... Um, it's almost like a two-year college at NYU. Mm-hmm. For students that, you know, haven't really figured out what they want to do mm-hmm. or major in yet, but you want to make sure they have the requirements. The core requirements. The core requirements 
And if they have an idea mm-hmm. of what they want to do, make sure they have the crimes for that. Mm-hmm. So that's what we, that's what I was doing as an advisor. That's what my other team of advisors. That's what we did day in and day out, making sure they they had the requirements uh, met or on on part on on pace to meet the requirements, as well as you know offer you know other um, advice when it came to you know possible careers, which I was able to do. Um, but, you know, I had some students that were looking to, you know, be writers and journalists and now, you know, advise them about that. Um, definitely would steer them to the career um, advisory department. But, you know, but because I had some inside knowledge, because right. it's my former profession, I was able to. I had students that would come, literally come like, I just need to talk to you <laughs> right. and just sit in my office, you know. So, but yeah, so I did that for about two and a half years, two years and eight months to be exact. Um, great opportunity, um, and but I fouled it up, and this is another thing that you know, when it comes to you know working at you know organizations and corporations, um, you have to be you know cognizant of you know your performance. Right. So it wasn't like I was lazy or anything like that. I got into a situation where I got beef with the administration. Wow. Yeah. So, and that beef. And that beef was with the president's office, not my boss, not or his boss. I got a beef with the president's office, and I was like, "Oh, we're not having that." <laughs> right? <laughs> you beefing with the president's office? Right. We're not having that, sir. You gotta go. You right. know what I'm saying? So, I still remember. I still remember to this day when the 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 head of HR mm. for the entire university mm. <laughs> for the entire university comes. <laughs> And you know, cause my boss is like, "Fine, here you got a minute." So, walked to his office. When I saw her, I was like, "Yeah, it's on. this is it. This it's is over. It. This is it." So, and when I walked out my office, I seen one brother sitting in the corner. And I was like, "Oh, they got, they got security for me, man." Mm. And, he's, and if you're not paying attention, cause he's not he's not dressed in a uniform. He doesn't mm-hmm. even have a tie on. But I know why he's there. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, HR sat with me, said, um, you know what this is about? I was like, yep. Do you have any questions? Nope. He said, well, we're going to put you on two weeks leave, and, you know, we'll get back to you and see what we're going to do. So, I was like, it's over. <laughs> right, It's right. over, you know what I mean? How did that make you feel, though? Because, yeah. I mean, walking from your office... Seeing the gentleman out yeah, the corner yeah, yeah, of your yeah, eye, you yeah. already know what's coming. Yep. It's kind of a sunken feeling. Yes. The butterflies start yes. going, and you know what's coming with yeah. it. Even though they said two week leave, yeah. you already knew what yeah. that outcome yeah. was going to be. So yeah. what what hit you? How did it How did it feel? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was two. I had two feelings. One was like relief, mm-hmm. and the other was like you know sadness because. I liked my job. Right. I really liked my job. I liked what I did. And I liked my team. Even though I was the only black man there in my department, there was another black woman who I worked with. We were very cool. You know, so we, we, we were very cool. But, you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, uh, blacks or Latinos in the department. There's one other um, Latino male um, happen to, happens to be also gay, which that's not a not an issue, you know what I'm saying? But the, uh, out of out of that out of uh, out of us three, there weren't a lot, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and I know for many times for me, definitely felt like alone on the island, you know. 
though I got along great with my team, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that I'm very comfortable in any room. It doesn't really matter. You know, education, levels of education, doesn't matter. You know, I can, you know, be comfortable in any room. Right. But at the same time, you know, you definitely want to see reflections of yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And it does have it does it does have an impact, you know. But that it didn't stop me from, you know, trying to, you know, you know, in in, in my attempts to deliver what I'm supposed to deliver as a as an advisor. Um, but you know, I was sad because I, I really liked my job and mm-hmm. I actually saw opportunities to you know do other things at NYU mm-hmm. and NYU offered a lot of opportunities a lot of opportunities you know so um, I was like damn <laughs> you Man, know what I'm saying that's... I missed out on that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so um, yeah so you know I, I'm, I'm very thankful you know for the opportunity uh, to work at NYU um, and I, I you know and I still want to work with young people in a similar capacity mm-hmm. um, probably not at a college or university at this juncture though I'm not you know I'm still open to it but probably not but um, but yeah I, I definitely would like you know how I feel I would like to impact young people is you know I guess in opportunities like this podcast is to share these experiences and I think that you know I've been pushed for a long time to write a book which I'm, yeah. which I'm doing, which I'm working on, and um, and it's to show, you know, you know, unfortunately, by being a cautionary tale, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you don't have to, you know, follow the same footsteps or follow the same mistakes that I've made, but also his things to look at because I went through this as well. You know what I mean? So, right. um, and one of the biggest lessons I've got in, as a result of those experiences was to be great for the podcast. We're going to go ahead and take a break. We have someone with an alarm going off. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Why Me Career Transition Podcast. I'm Coach Marcy, and I am here with Fahim Yassin, who is giving us all of his career transitions that he has experienced to include being the contributing editor and editor-in-chief for The Source magazine, as well as his career in the academic world. So tell me where that brings you to at this point. Uh, That's a great question. Um, You know, I had to do a lot of reflection as a result of me losing my job in New York University. Um, And you have to really figure out, okay... Um, is this career something I want to do because I, um, you know, I took an interest in it or is it a passion? So, you know, right now, um, you know, I, I, I moonlight as a, as a substitute teacher in New York City school, um, uh, system, but I've really, you know, started to focus on my passion, which is really writing my book. Right. You know, so which has been kind of like a long time coming. I've been pushed for like forever. You know, close friends, people that even people who are established writers who have books of their own. Like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So. So I basically, you know, carved out a space and time for myself. Was like, okay, so, you know, I like what I'm doing as a substitute teacher because it allows me to have the free time to write. Right. And. 
the thing about you know challenges that we go through um, in our personal as well as professional life is that you know you're provided with the opportunity to reinvent yourself you know whether you see it or not and you know I was always told that you know as long as you're alive you know another day above ground is another opportunity to change right you know so I've really begun to kind of like um, hone in on you know that concept and you know take hold of what that means or what it should mean and um, challenges you know whether it's you losing a job or losing a loved one due to illness or death or even a relationship you know um, these are kind of like things that kind of like teach you something mm-hmm. you know really teach you something about yourself you know so um, we're definitely thankful you know um, for their you know time on this earth you know and in, in our lives but you know your journey is your journey right and you kind of have to we're gonna figure that out like oh it's this is my journey even if you have children it's still your journey you know not saying you don't love your children you don't you know provide for them but it's still your journey right you know and many times you know we as adults who those of us who come into adulthood and even get married and stuff like that we you know it's been you know we've kind of been socialized well you know it's the kids before everything right you know but yet but who were you before you had the child or the children who were you so do does that all of a sudden no you make no question you make sacrifices for your children it's no yes. question you brought them into this world there's no question but you shouldn't sacrifice who you are as a result of you having children absolutely because your children need to see who you are mm-hmm. so they can become who they need to be you know and um i had to learn a lot um you know um, with me you know being separated and divorced me losing a job um a job that i really like to kind of like okay kind of refocus and um and kind of you know look at what we do to ourselves because you know a lot of times you know what we do as um as adults and i'll say more so with with men but women too but a lot of times we place unnecessary expectations on ourselves when nobody really cares (laughs) nobody cares nobody cares nobody's looking at you like you're, you're, you're placing all this tremendous amounts of pressure, you know, to to look good externally for people do not care. Right. They're not even looking at you. They're not even looking at you. So I always felt that it was incumbent upon me to be like, you know, you know, the strong black man who's leading the black family. I, 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 I was wearing that crown, you know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, when people, you know, because of social media, people look at you and your family like, oh, man, yeah. People don't care. They don't. They don't care. So once you remove that, it's like things begin to clear up. Like, oh, okay. I was really living for other people. I wasn't really living for myself. Right. And, you know, then things really become to begin to take shape. And that's why reinvention, if presented to you, if presented to you and if you could see it, you know, take the bull by the horns. 
you're like, don't be afraid to reinvent yourself, even if you have to start at the bottom. Right. Because the treasures, once you're working your way through, is unimaginable. But the main treasure for me is the peace of mind. I think that's the best thing I've gotten through all my transitions, at, you know, my career transitions, is the peace of mind that I've arrived at. Mm-hmm. And I have less money. <laughs> I have less money. But you seem very happy. Extreme, very, extremely. That's And that's the key. That is the key to it all. So you can transition. You're going to have some good experiences. You're going to have some bad experiences. Yes. You're going to have some great ones. But in all of it, if you are able to reinvent yourself and really seize the opportunity for to take it for what it is yes. and dig deeper into yourself and work on you, you can always come out successful. You'll always identify what works for you and how you can be great at it. So that is that is an awesome takeaway from this. That Absolutely. is awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think that, you know, this is kind of what needs to be, you know, you know, taught to people. I won't say it's because high schoolers don't necessarily get it. They won't get it. Uh, and even people who are in college may not even get it. But those who are like starting their careers, they probably, you know, need to kind of get, you know, these type of messages. Mm hmm. And, it's, and especially those who kind of like mid-career. That's that that point. Right. You know, that, you know, you may feel yourself, you know, working yourself to the bone. And, you know, you feel like you're an excellent worker. But, you know, you don't probably see the results that you would like. Right. Um, either, either it's them or it's you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, there's really no... There's nothing no else. In between. There's no in between. It's either them, it's the organization, or it's you. So you have to really kind of like sit with yourself and be like, okay, like what, what am I trying to accomplish and what do I really want to do? Because you no, know, not everybody is an entrepreneur. Right. You know, and that's something, that's another lesson that people may see certain people get in the bag or whatever. But that may, may, may not necessarily be your calling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, a cog in a wheel is a, that makes the wheel spin. Right. So if you are at a career, you know, you know, I know you probably spell out the difference between a job and a career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you had a career that, you know, um, that you like or that, you, that makes an impact, mm-hmm. you know, why not stay? Like, what's the rush to? start a business to do what and and for what what's the intention right you know what i'm saying so i think that people get um in social media it's it's, this is what's kind of can be disruptive about social media like watch (laughs) other people you know and think that that should be our life right you know so listen if you are uh an analyst if you are a physician's assistant it Listen, if it's a it's a necessary field, and if you like doing it, why do you want to leave that field? Right. Why do you want to leave that job? And it took these experiences for me as we got as we gotta stop the interview. <laughs> this car is constantly going off. We're gonna go ahead and continue. Go yeah. ahead. So as you know, it took these experiences to realize it crystallized for me like you know I respect people who have careers 
not everybody's supposed to have their own business. Right. Right. You know, so, it, it, you know, it, it, and there are people who, they're friends of mine from high school. They're about to retire. Right. Friends of mine I went to high school with who are about to retire. And I'm so proud of them when they tell me that. Like, bro, sis, I'm so happy for you. Mm-hmm. I am extremely happy for you. Yeah, I've traveled and all other stuff, but I say, but you, one, you got a nest egg, <laughs> and two, you can chill for the rest of your life. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you get older, you're like, oh, that's important. Mm-hmm. So for me to like, my mother just retired last year, and for me to help her with that process and the paperwork, I was extremely happy for her because my mother was like, you know, I'm thinking about working another year. I was like, but why? Mm-hmm. I said, you know. It's already taxing on your body. I said, just retire. Mm-hmm. Just retire. You know, so, and, you know, my mother, like some other parents, you know, like they always worry about the kids. What the kids going to do? I was like, we're grown. Like, we got I, I hear that yeah. a lot. Because honestly, I mean, I, I will say yes. Yeah. I still say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moms say yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. I, I think that that's yes. what it is. We are the nurturers, so oh, we no will question. say this. So no question. My children know that anytime yes. you need me, you call me. Yes. Except while I'm recording Absolutely. this podcast, <laughs> you know? But exactly. I, 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 I totally get it. Yeah. So so she finally retired. Finally, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy and proud of her that she did that and took that step. And um, But also what I loved about the step is because... It also forces my other siblings to be like, okay, this is the next transition of life mm-hmm. now. That one of us may have to take care of our mother. Right. Now, I remember sitting with my siblings about this about four years ago. I was like, you know, you know, we really got to start thinking about this type of stuff, you know, um, because, you know, I mean, do you want your mother in the nursing home? You know, I can understand. I don't, but... Right. You know, I understand, you know, life happens and we probably, we may not be able to take care of it. I understand, but I personally don't. So I need to do something mm-hmm. to make sure that doesn't happen. So, um, so yeah. And I, I think a lot of times that, you know, when we think about careers and career decisions, that a lot of us who, um, who've kind of had like a job to job existence, you know, kind of find out about it too late mm-hmm. you know and um and this is what you don't want to do this right. is why you have podcasts like this with coach marcy is can kind of give you the, the the tools where if you want to be uh you know a career that you love lifelong or if you want to be an entrepreneur but be no you know um, be prepared in terms of what what's at stake and what you have to mm-hmm. you know what you have to do, what's involved, and it's not easy. Either either decision is not easy, um, but you have to be clear with yourself in terms of like, one, you're not following anybody else's ambitions but your own. You have to really be honest and clear about that, you know, um, to make the best decision in terms of the career that you would like to do. Um, that this is solely what you want to do, right? And go with that and take it to the highest of the heights. Don't mm-hmm. stop. You know, um, where, you know, you may get a nice check, but why not get a better check? Right. If, but, but if you want to do it, mm-hmm. you got to be clear about that too, you know, because right. 
Because sometimes, you know, it, it pays the cost to be the boss. <laughs> it yeah. really does. Yeah. It really does. You know what I'm saying? And for some people, like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I've run across peers. It's like, you know, I could have, you know, did this, this, or that, but I knew what it was involved, and mm -hmm. I, I don't want the headache. Right. The level of responsibility yeah, exactly. may be too much when you compare it to what yes. they're actually going to compensate you exactly. with to exactly. do that role. So yes. be mindful be of that as well. Mindful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, working as an editor in chief, you know, I was working like 70, 80 hour weeks. Yeah. So like coming home early, I was like 10 o'clock at night. That was an early night. Wow. And if I came home at eight o'clock, I thought I hit the jackpot. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of work, a mm -hmm. lot of work, um, to, to publish, you know, the magazine. And, um, yeah, I was compensated, but sometimes money is not everything. So you kind of have to weigh, right. Um, what you would like to do, where you would like to go in, in the particular career. If you want to go to the top, then definitely sacrifices have to be made. And be prepared for the work. <sighs> Could have said any better. Be prepared for the work. Mm -hmm. Be prepared for the work. It definitely... That, that concept of 10,000 hours is real. Mm. It's real. It's real. It, you have to put in the work to achieve a level of success, however you define success. You have to put in the work. And, and, and for somebody growing up in New York City, and this is for anybody who grew up in, you know, an urban setting where you're around, you know, environments where, you know, you have the hustle mentality, whether it's legal or illegal. And you realize that's work too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that there's no easy. There is. It isn't easy. There is no easy money. No. Oh man. None. Wow, that's so true. Mm -hmm. It's so true. It really isn't easy money because, let's say you're doing something illegal. The type of the time and effort you have to do to evade the law. Is way too much trouble. <laughs> and you need to be on the track team. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right, right, <laughs> right. On. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, um, there's, a, there's a saying that necessity uh, is the mother of invention. And I think that, you know, for people who are starting out on their careers or mid-career, really need to kind of just, uh, you know, I think it's, 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 you do yourself a professional service to be as clear and honest with yourself, you know, in terms of what you want to do as a, you know, with, at a, at a, you know a, within a career, at a career, you just have to be extremely clear and honest mm -hmm. with yourself. What do, what do you want to accomplish? What do you like to, where would you like to be in five or 10 years? You know, what, what how much work are you willing to put? And right. you have to be, and you can't treat it as some, like a hobby. Exactly. You can't treat it as a hobby. And oftentimes, we do that. And how many times do we know people who were exceptional because they had talent, but they just treated like... But, you know, there's a saying in the sports world, hard work beats talent all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am, I am so delighted we had this time, and I'm very grateful for it i really appreciate you and likewise thank you this has just been great and i hope at 
you know, some point we will meet again Absolutely. and be able to do this again to be able to uh, help my listeners that are in their career transition at this time. So thank you so much, Fahim, for your time. You're very welcome. And your insight as well, because a lot of people would never, ever think that transitioning careers could give you so many different mindsets and experiences where you have to really look inward instead of outward. A lot of times I see people transition and they want to always say it was the company, but they are not looking at themselves. So sometimes we have to really look inward and own what transpired, why we may have had the transition careers. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. And I want to thank you so much for your time. Again, this is coach Marcy with the why me career transition podcast. Thank you so much for my listeners. And if you have any questions or comments or anything for me, please be sure to go ahead and send those over and I will have those answered in our next podcast. Thank you so much for listening.